So a few announcements we have. Wednesdays, we still feed the homeless, if you want to go. Kylie went this Wednesday. What'd you think? You did? She did. It was long. It takes a few hours, huh? Um, yeah. It's kind of gross. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you know. Yeah. Just the way that people live. Yeah. It's kind of not very clean sometimes. Yeah. Did you pray with anybody? No? <laughs> next, next time? She was ready to. <laughs> Six feet apart. Are you going next time? Yeah. Okay. No, it was good. It was good. Yeah. Huh. We got to meet people and love on them and pray with them. Do you think they needed it? Sure. <laughs> Am I putting you on the spot? Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, the next women's study is June 16th. Thursday, June 16th. Okay, good. Uh, and the next men's study is Saturday, June 18th. And then the next youth night is not this Thursday, but it's going to be this Saturday because we're gone Thursday. We get back late Thursday night, but it'll be this Saturday night. Yeah. What's wrong with Saturday? Oh my goodness. <laughs> it is me and mom are gone we don't get back till late Thursday night skip like two weeks because the next week you have a women's study on Thursday night I don't know we could do that we could do that we'll see we'll decide here before we send out an email how about that your emails have been going to my spam. Have they? Yeah, because I went to check my spam for something else the other day. And then I was like, what? Getting emails from Matt? <laughs> I had no idea. The schools did that for a long time with me. I don't know why they did that. All the school emails. Because I've been there for how many years? Oh, yeah. And it started one of my, I'm like, who knows? Yeah, I was trying to send one out kind of once a week for what's going on that week. And then it's got, the email's got the, all the teachings on there. If you ever want to go back and listen to something, it's all on there. There's a link. I don't know if you guys saw that. So, um, let's pray. Let's get started. <clears throat> Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to come to worship you, to learn about um, who you are, to, to learn about how you um, instruct us to live our lives, to just draw near to you, to learn more about you, your son Jesus, learn more about how the Holy Spirit leads and guides us, to learn more about just how much you love us, um, that you care for us that much, so you'll correct us, so you'll guide us. Lord, I just ask you would watch over each person here, that you would bless them, that you would draw them closer to you, that you would help each one of us to receive the message you have for us. I ask you would help us to be a light and a witness to those around us when we go back out into our community, into our workplaces, um, into our, our lives outside of here, that we would reflect 
your light, Jesus. You are the light of the world. I do ask that you would watch over our community, that you would bless it, that you would um, watch over our leaders, both locally, um, at the state level, and at the national level. That you would bring many of them to come to know you. That many people here in the United States would come to know you. There would be a, a revival of many turning back to you. Um, I just ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, we're going to be, we'll start off in Romans chapter 1, verse 28. So we kind of, we finished off chapter 1 and then we kind of took two weeks and we talked about at the end of, at the end of chapter 1, we talked about where the spiritual battle is. It's not against flesh and blood, against other people. It's a spiritual battle um, where the battle is. It's a spiritual battle. And we're not to, to be at war with other people. And Paul's going to further confirm that here as we get into chapter 2. Um, but then when we looked at where the battle was, we were reminded of the armor of God. Because we learned that the spiritual battle um, takes place, and it's not a, a battle against flesh and blood. We learned that in Ephesians 6, which is where the armor of God was. So we talked about that. And that led us to the, the salvation is a forever gift to us, never to be taken away not based off of merit, not, oh, if you're good enough or unless you walk away, that we always have um, that salvation. That's why salvation is a helmet. It's to protect our head. The enemy can never kill us, can never take away our spiritual life, um, our life eternal with Jesus that can never be lost. And then that kind of led us into being forgiven for our sins. Well, maybe I'm saved or, or maybe I'm not. Maybe I wasn't really forgiven for all my sins. So that led us into what we talked about last week, the unforgivable sin, which is really the unbelief in Jesus. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. That's his first job. And, and the unforgivable sin is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Tell the Holy Spirit, no, you're a liar. <clears throat> Jesus isn't really the Son of God. I don't need to, to receive him. I don't need to, to call him Lord. So, so that's where we ended up. So now we'll kind of... We'll, go through the last few verses of chapter one just to remind us of what the context is what paul's talking about um, and then we'll get into chapter two so romans chapter one starting here in verse 28 um, at this point paul's listed off some of the other sins the, you know the homosexual sins and now he's getting into some of the other ones and he gives quite the list here so starting here in verse 28 and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge god God gave them up to a depraved mind to do things that are not proper. People having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, and evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents. So... We'll continue on in just a minute with the rest of the, the chapter. But remember, you know, he lists some pretty egregious sins, but some of the sins he lists is gossips and disobedience to parents. And who has not been guilty of that? Who has not been guilty of gossiping? I, I just don't think there's a person out there that hasn't taken part in that, talking about someone else behind their back, you know, talking about something that you don't even know is true, but spreading that to another person. You know, who hasn't been disobedient to their parents at some point in their life, or many times, multiple times in their life. If my parents were here, they'd tell you it was multiple times, like 
probably too many to count. You know, so I, I think sometimes you hear these lists of these egregious sins. Um, number one, I, I think probably most of us are, are guilty of a lot more than just a couple sins on the list. I know I am. Um, but when you look at the ones that don't seem as bad, like, oh, that's not as bad. Number one, I think, one, God must think that they're pretty bad to be put on this list. It's important to him. Um, and number two, we all have sinned, and we all need Jesus' sacrifice on the cross to take away our sins. Not just cover them up, but take them away. So, continuing on here in verse 31. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unfeeling, and unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also approve of those practicing them. So they know the ordinance of God. People know what God expects of us, either by the written law or because he's put it on our hearts. He's given us the Holy Spirit that guides us, that convicts us of our first sin, not believing in Jesus. And then after that, guides us on, on what we are doing, what sins are in our life that we need to give up and, and what sins um, need to be dealt with. So I do find it interesting there at the very end, you know, but also these people approve of those who practice them. The New King James says it, but have pleasure in those that do them. And the New Living Translation says, worse yet, they encourage others to do them. So, so it's one thing to sin. It's a whole other thing to encourage others, to approve of others doing them, to, to say, oh, this isn't really sin. This really isn't that bad. You know, you've taken it to a whole new level there. And it's something that we've probably all been guilty of at a time in my life or our lives. I know in mine, you know, I can think back to the days of partying and drinking and how many times did I want other people to come with me and join in, you know, hey, and why? Why did I want other people? Because I didn't want to be alone in it. If I have other, other people with me, then, oh, this can't be that wrong. Look, everybody else is doing it. So it's a, a dangerous place to be. Um, and maybe you don't necessarily partake in the sins listed above, you know, but maybe you're watching movies or TV shows or listening to music that portrays them. And that's just as bad. You're filling your heart with it. Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. So, and we'll get into this here later on, but, but what we fill our heart with, well, that's what comes out of our mouth. That's what defiles us. The abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, yeah. So, watching the movies, the music, you are in sin. What goes through our ears and through our eyes enters through our hearts. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, eventually, you see it enough you're going to convince yourself that that's okay. You're going to be numb to, to the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding you that this is sin. And you can stifle the Holy Spirit. And slowly and surely, you know, sin begins to grow in your life. It starts off small. Um, there's a saying, sin takes you farther than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you're willing to pay. And I can't think of anybody I've ever met that would disagree with that statement. Um, I think we've all, all been there and we all know what it can do in our lives.
So, moving on here, starting in, in chapter 2, verse 1. So therefore, you have no excuse, you fo foolish person, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that matter in which you judge someone else, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. So, you have no excuse. We have no excuse because we have judged. So we've judged someone else, judged that what they're doing is wrong. Well, then obviously we've identified it as wrong, but we're judging them. So we have no excuse, and yet we're doing it ourselves is what Paul's saying. Um, and oftentimes that is the case. We're worried about what someone else is doing. You know, you hear the statement a lot of times, do as I say, not as I do. Well, that's because we're doing those same things that we're judging others for doing. And we need to be careful of that. We need to, to be mindful. Um, and here we also read that God is going to judge. Um, so why do we need to judge? If God's going to judge people for what they've done or what they're doing, why do we need to? Um, does it make us feel better about our own sins if we point out someone else's? Probably. Are we not accepting the forgiveness of God for our own sins and we feel we need to point out the sins in other people's lives? Possibly. Um, or do we not trust the Holy Spirit to do his job? His job is to convict us of, of our singular sin of not believing in Jesus, but then after that to lead us in righteousness, to, to call out the sins in our life, to point us in the direction that we should go. Do we not trust the Holy Spirit to convict those other people of their sins also, if he's convicted us of ours? Um, so we have to ask ourselves, when we're judging others, why are we judging them? One, we're in sin. Paul makes that clear here. And there's many other places in the Bible. We'll go to, to at least one of them today. Um, but continuing on here in, in verse 3. But do you suppose this, you foolish person who passes judgment on those who practice such things, and yet do them as well, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Um, so people oftentimes mistake God's kindness, God's long-suffering, or God's patience um, as approval for sin in their lives. You know, people will do something, test the waters, a little bit of sin. Oh, I, God didn't convict me of that. I didn't get in trouble for that. I didn't get caught. God must not think it's that big a deal. God must approve of this sin somehow. And that's never true. That's never true. God's long-suffering, um, he doesn't, isn't quick to, to smite us out, to, to wipe us out. He's long-suffering for us. Um, he allows us to get far enough from him that, that when we realize how far we are, we cry out to him. And it's a, a lot louder cry the lot further away we are. The, lot, the further away we are, the louder we have to cry. Um, but it is, it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Um, I'm thankful that he was long-suffering with me, that he didn't just wipe me out long ago. Um, for most of us, it's God's love that led us to him. You know, when we come to this realization of who Jesus is, of who God is, it's his love that, that draws us to him. Um, it's not the fact that 
We see his invisible attributes that he, we know he's God, that he's worthy of, of praise. We see it in creation. Um, it's, it's none of that. We should just come to, to know him and love him and worship him because he's worthy of it. But most of the time, it's his love that draws us to him. And Paul explains this here. Knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance, leads us to, to turn to him. God, I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. And it's God's love and kindness that brings other people to him also, you know. And we need to remember that, that when we are quick to judge others for what they're doing and for their sin, um, that God is long-suffering with them also so that they will come to know him. They'll come to repentance. Um, And are we to judge in discernment is what's right and wrong? Yes, we're to judge in that way. Are we to judge in condemnation where we condemn someone? Oh, you're going to hell. No, absolutely not. That's not our place. We don't know. We don't know who's going to be in heaven and who's going to be in hell. And I think you're going to be surprised when you get up there. There's going to be people up there that you didn't expect to see. And there's going to be people up there you thought you would see and you didn't. You know, maybe some great Christian leader that you thought, oh, he's definitely up there. You know, look at all the great things he's doing for God. But his heart was never in it. He never truly loved God. Um, and, and that was the requirement to, to receive eternal life. So, so we're never to judge in condemnation. Are we to judge right from wrong? Yes. Um, are we to go around pointing out other people's sins? No. And we'll get to that. We have plenty of sins in our own life. You know, I, I may not be sinning as much or as egregiously as when I wasn't walking with God, but unfortunately I still have sin in my life. I still lose my temper. I still become angry. I still become prideful. I still become um, selfish. Uh, not as much as, as before, but it's still there. And it's not as often as before. And we kind of went over this yesterday. You know, you look at Peter's life. Early on, he was kind of all over the place. Later on, after Jesus' death, after he receives the Holy Spirit, you know, his life is a lot more stable. There's still that sin that pops up every now and then, but it's a lot less frequent and it's a lot less severe. So um, we're going to hold your finger here in chapter 2, but we're going to go to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to just kind of look at um, again, casting judgment on others and why we're not to. So here in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1, this is Jesus talking. And I always find that important. Anytime Jesus is talking, if you want to know what does God think or, or what, who is God, what, what does he care about, what concerns him, what bothers him, what frustrates him, you know, what's important to him, just look at the words that Jesus spoke. So when Jesus speaks, Jesus is God. And, and you get to know this is what God's concerned with. So this here in, in chapter 7... Matthew, verse 1, um, is Jesus speaking. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the same way you judge, you will be judged. And your standard of, and by your standard of measure, 
it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and look, <laughs> let me take the speck out of your eye and look, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Um, so first of all, what we need to do is we need to get the focus off of other people. You know, we need to quit focusing on what other people are doing wrong. Um, we need to get the focus off of ourselves also. And we need to put the focus on Jesus and what Jesus has called us to do and living a life for him, following his word. Um, secondly, we have plenty of sins in our own lives. And that's what he's speaking of here. That we need to deal with first before we can ever focus on anybody else's sin in their lives. And I would say to you that you probably don't get rid of all the sin in your life. You probably never get the whole log out to go focus on somebody else's life and what they're doing. You know, we have plenty to worry about in ourselves. Um, with so much, yeah, with so much sin in our own lives, how can we take sin out of other people's lives? You know, we need to stay in our lanes. And, and this is the lane that he's given us. He's telling us you know, not to judge others because um, we're going to be judged that same way. You know, when we condemn others, you're condemning yourself. And, and in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation in Christ. So if we're condemned, then we're not in Christ. We're not believers, if that makes sense to you. There's no condemnation in Christ. So... So condemning people, Jesus is saying, if you're condemning others, then you yourself are condemned, and you really need to look, are you saved? And that is a big deal, you know. When you're telling others you're going to hell for what you're doing, what you're doing is so wrong, um, that, that's not the way to go about it. We're told to love others, to, to restore them in love. Um, we don't need to go around pointing out sins in other people's lives, but if the question comes up from that other person, you know, this is going on in my life. We need to be able to have those honest conversations in love about what is sin um, and how it does affect their lives and help restore them in love. We're absolutely supposed to do that. Um, the Bible makes it clear that all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. So we all have been there. We should have compassion for others who are in sin. We talked about this yesterday too. That's one of the things that Jesus taught Peter was to have compassion for others we're in sin. None of us are, are above the standard. None of us made the cut. We all are in need of Jesus' forgiveness, his love, and his mercy. So let's go back to Romans chapter 2. And we'll pick it up in verse 5. So Romans chapter 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who, <coughs> who will repay each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, 
he will give eternal life. Um, so those who have a stubborn, unrepentant heart, they're storing up the wrath from God to be poured out on them. You know, So when we choose not to receive his son, when we choose to, to go on and live a life, an unrepentant life, um, a condemning life on others, you know, a judgmental life on others, a looking down on others, um, we're storing up wrath for ourselves. Um, and God makes it clear here that he'll repay each person according to their deeds. So we need to remember, one, there is no neutral ground with God. There's no, I'm a good person, I'm all right. You're either for God or you're against him. There's no middle ground. We don't get to stray to the right or to the left a little bit. We're either walking with God or we're walking against him. You know, over and over again, I see throughout the Bible, and the Bible makes that clear. God's judgment is always right and just, and his timing is always perfect. You know, his, his ultimate goal is to have a relationship with each and every one of us, that each person on this world would come to be saved, would repent, that they would call on his name. That's his goal. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. And so he's timed it out. His judgment, everything is set up just perfect so that each person has the best opportunity to receive him. Over and over again, he's calling to them. Um, really, God's judgment is perfect in every single way. So, um, and here at the end, you know, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek glory, honor, immortality, you know, he will give eternal life. He doesn't give the eternal life because you've done these works. He gives the eternal life because first you received his son. And once you received his son, then you can walk in his ways. You, the Bible says that we can love because he first loved us. So what that means is we really can't love anyone until we love Jesus. Until you understand that love that he first loved us, that he sacrificed himself, that self-sacrificing agape love is what we're talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about almost always. That we can't love others until we first love him. So I can't love my wife until I love Jesus. I can't love my husband until I love Jesus. I can't really love my friends until I love Jesus, until I learn what that self-sacrificing love is, that I'll do anything for them, that I set my own feelings aside, I deny myself, I pick up my cross, and I follow Jesus. You know, I deny myself, I pick up my cross, I love my family, and I follow Jesus. That only happens because he first loved us. So, so that eternal life there is not because of any works we did. It's only because we received him into our lives. We'll continue on here in verse 8. Romans 2, 8. But those who are self-serving and do not obey the truth, but obey righteousness, he will give wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of mankind who does evil, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who does what is good to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. So again, here we need to get our, our eyes off of others. We need to get our eyes off of ourselves. We need to stop being self-serving. 
and we need to get our eyes on Jesus. He's the single most important thing in our life. You know, and are we at that point? Is God the most important? The decisions I make, am I looking to him? God, guide me in this. I want your will to be done. You know, yes, I have this desire, or yes, I really want this, but I want you to lead and guide. I don't want this unless it's of you, unless it's from you, unless this is part of your plan for my life. Is that where we're at in our lives? Um, and that's an important place to be, and it's an important thing to reflect on. You know, is God really the most important? Do I really want him leading my life? Do I trust him to lead my life? That's a big deal. Do I really trust that God has this under control? Or when I get into a situation that's difficult, that's tough, that's um, hard to understand, do I want that control back? Um, and the reality is you never have the control to begin with. You're not in control of anything. None of us are. We're not in control of what happens throughout our lives. We may think we are. We may have this illusion that we are, but we're not. So aren't we so much better off just to, to give that up? To give that up and say, God, your will be done. Your will be done in this situation right here today. Your will be done in my life tomorrow. Your will be done in my life forever. I want to follow you wholeheartedly wherever that takes me. And it almost seems to me like you're going to end up there anyways. So you can either go kicking and screaming or you can go willingly um, and reap the benefits and learn the things that God has for you along the way. So um, now here, so God will rightly judge. We kind of went over that. Everything God judges, everything God judges and everything he does is perfect. Um, And it talks about the Jew first and then the Gentile. So the Jews were God's chosen people. And everyone else is a Gentile. So all of us in this room are Gentiles. Um, And everyone... Yeah, so everyone who isn't a Jew is a Gentile. The Jews were God's chosen people, um, but not for any special reason, not because they were special or better than anyone else, just because he chose them. Kind of like in the marriage, the husband and the wife, you know, the man's called to lead, not because he's better at it, just because that's how God chose it. That's how God set it up. It's just what God picked, not because they're better, not because they're better than his chosen people, just because God chose them. And God chose them to point the whole world to his son, Jesus. That was their job, and they chose not to do it. And God knew that from the beginning, but God's going to use that to, um, to further convict our hearts that we need Jesus to further show us how important um, he is in our everyday lives. Every moment, every minute of every day, we need Jesus. So, and then God here at the end makes it clear, I have no partiality. Is God done with, with the nation of Israel? Not at all. He's still using them. There's still fulfillment of prophecy throughout the Bible that we'll read about. Um, but he's using us also. And what he's going to do is he's going to use the Gentiles He's going to use us to provoke a jealousy in the Jews that we have this special relationship with the same God that they know. um, And he's going to provoke them to jealousy and they'll come to know him. He's already predicted it. It's going to happen. Um, But here, let's go quick to Romans chapter 12. We'll start in verse 17. Um, So I do want to look at... What does God say about vengeance? He'll rightly judge. Um, and maybe the reason that we're, we're judging others is because they've sinned against us. And we want to, we want to call that out. Um, we want vengeance. We want justice, right? 
Well, funny how when we sinned, when we were in sin, we wanted mercy. Oh God, be merciful to me. Oh God, but this person over here, I want you to judge, and I want you to judge him right now. Um, you know, you owe me this, God. Number one, he doesn't owe us anything. <laughs> but that's kind of what we think. So here, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 17. We'll just take a look at what does God say about vengeance. Um, and Romans is just such an amazing book. There's so much in the book of Romans that teaches us how to live as Christians. And I, I'm excited that this is the book that we're going through now. Um, so Romans 12:17, Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take vengeance. I will pay back, says the Lord. So we're never to pay back evil with more evil. We are to live at peace with everyone, including our enemies. And all revenge, all revenge is for God to pay them back, um, not us. And the question is, are we okay if God shows them mercy and leads them to repentance and ultimately to receiving his son, Jesus? You know, are we okay with that? Or are we so mad that we want vengeance that we don't want them to come to know the Lord? And if that's the case, we really need to check our hearts. And it's not anything that God convicts us of. It's, it's not that he, he can't help us through. When we find ourselves in sin, when we find ourselves angry, when we find ourselves guilty of something that, that we've, we've read about here, ask God to help you. God, help me. Help me to love this person. Help me to love my enemies. God, give me a heart for the things that break your heart. Give me a heart after your heart, God. Help me, God. And he always will. Those are the prayers that he always answers. They're not... Um, selfish prayers, their prayers of God, I want your will done in my life. So, so continue on here, chapter 12, verse 20. So instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their head. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Um, so God turns this upside down. You know, not only are, are we to love our enemies, now we're to go and serve our enemies. Um, maybe it doesn't turn it upside down. Maybe it turns it right side up. <laughs> maybe that's the way it was always supposed to be. That, that That's how we're to treat others, no matter what. Um, not only are, are we not to take revenge on them um, when they wrong us or sin against us, but we're to feed them. We're to give them something to drink. You know, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. I do love that. Um, and then we don't have to go to it, but in Matthew, Jesus also explains here, Matthew five, forty-four. 44. Um, he's kind of talking, he's in, and right before this, he says to him, so I've, you've heard it said, you know, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But Jesus corrects what it was really supposed to say. You know, that was a worldly saying. We have many worldly sayings, um, kind of like do as I say, not as I do, is a worldly saying. So there's a worldly saying out there, and Jesus corrects, no, this is what it's supposed to be. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So um, how many times have, have we done that in our lives to where we have an enemy 
and, and, and it can go on for years. And you start praying for that person. Pray for God to bless them, not curse them. You know, there's another place in the Bible where, they make, where God makes that clear. So pray for them. We'll pray blessing on them. God, please bless this person in my life. And it's amazing, almost, not almost, it's amazing that every single time when we pray for God to bless them, what happens? The situation changes. And all of a sudden, there's no longer that confrontation there. Or God's opened up an opportunity for us to befriend this person. And now your enemy has become your friend. And not because of anything you did, other than you obeyed God. He told you to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, pray blessing into their life. You do it, and now the situation's changed, and you no longer have that enemy. Um, and I would say it's probably because God did a work in your heart. You began praying for them. You began saying, okay, God, I deny myself. I'm going to pick up my cross, pray for my enemy, and I'm going to follow you. And God has changed the situation. Have we seen that before? Yes. I'm looking at the girls. We've been over this. You know, when we have problems with friends, what do we do? Problems with teachers, what do we do? We pray for them. Pray for God to bless them. And I think even when they do it half-heartedly, God always changes the situation, whether they'll admit it or not. So, um, so we'll go back to Romans chapter 2. We'll pick it up again in verse 12. Um, the other way I think about loving your enemies too is and I think I might have explained it before but you're at a party and one of your dear friends walks in what do you do? You want to go up to him? You want to give him a hug? You know, hey, how's it going? You know, you're excited to see them. You're at the same party and, and one of your enemies walks in and you think, oh, well I just won't say anything mean to them, you know that would be my love for them. No, no, no. That's not what God's talking about. You're to love them. You're to go up to them with the same enthusiasm you went up to your friend that you loved. That's how you're supposed to love your enemies. Love your neighbor, love your friends, and love your enemies. You know, and what I go up to in that party, what I go up to my enemy and, and love on them, be excited to see them. That's what we're supposed to do. So it puts it into perspective. It's not easy, but with the things that aren't easy in our life that are God's will, when we ask him to help us, when we pray um, over and over and over again, God, give me strength in this. God, help me with this. He answers us every single time. And you'll look back years later and you'll see how much you've grown, that, that God's ways are true, that his promises are true, and that his love is unending, never failing. Um, so... Back to Romans chapter 2, verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So we will be judged on what we have, and we have God's word. You know, so we have his, his full counsel here, and we're going to be judged on that. You know, I think we heard a while ago that the average American home had something like 7 to 11 Bibles in it. <laughs> well, we can't say that we don't know what God expects. We have it all throughout our house. You know, it's our choice. Do we, do we read it? Do we get uh, look into it? Do we study it? Um, and we should. 
we should be reading, studying, praying every day. Um, set aside that time to God, you know, even if it's just one verse, but I'd say it's probably more than one verse. You know, you got five minutes, five minutes you could read your word, read God's word every day. Um, and you'd be surprised in how many verses you'll read in those five minutes. And then you'd be further surprised that what you read applies to your life that day, something that's going on or, or something that happened the day before, you know, I choose just to pick a book of the Bible and then I'll read through that until I'm done. You know, I'll read a little bit every morning until I get through it. Um, I've done different things. I've read chronologically through the Bible. That's always kind of cool. It, it puts it in the order of the events when they happened to the best of, of their knowledge. Um, but just different things, getting into his word and praying every day. You know, when we can pray anywhere, we can pray in our car, we can pray in our home, you know, wherever we're at eyes open eyes closed it's just a conversation with god talking to god um, telling him what's going on in our life asking him for the things that we need god please give me patience please give me wisdom you know please give me strength and courage that i need to to do your will today Um, so then he talks about being not just hearers of the word but doers um it's not enough for us just to go to church on Sunday um, and just hear God's word. I lived my life that way for many years. Okay, God, here's my hour. The rest of the week is mine. You know, I gave you your portion. Now I'll do the rest of my life my way. And that's an awful, awful place to be. I ended up, um, my life was a mess. So I would say to you, you know, getting involved spending time in his word in prayer, spending time with other believers. We've been over this, how important that is to encourage each other in love and good deeds. And then apply what we've learned in all that into our lives, you know, make changes in our lives. God doesn't clean us all up at once, but is little by little refining us and calling us closer to him and asking us to let go of more and more of the worldly values and the worldly things in our lives. Um, First and foremost, we need to receive Jesus. And then we let the Holy Spirit start doing that work in our lives, convicting us of our sins, pointing us in the right direction. The Bible calls this process sanctification, making us more and more like Christ each and every day. Um, and it's a, it's a process, and it takes time. And I think sometimes we want God, you know, Paul, Paul said himself, you know, I hate the things that I do, and I, I do the things I hate. And he was very frustrated with it, that there was still sin in his life. Um, and, and it takes time. There's a process to it. But when we continue to walk with God day after day, we continue to let him make those changes in our life. Um, we continue to grow. And that's the important thing, growing those deep roots. That way when troubles come along, we can turn back to the promises that God makes. And God makes promises all throughout his word to us. Um, so we'll continue on here in verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law instinctively perform the requirements of the law, (coughs) these, though not having the law, are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience testifies, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of mankind through Christ Jesus. Um, so I probably could have read that a little more fluidly, but you know, 
hopefully you were reading along. Um, but it is amazing to me that the Gentiles who didn't have the law instinctively knew what the law was. And what the law was, was, was the Old Testament this time. The Jews had the Old Testament. They knew the law. God gave his requirements in it. And the Gentiles who didn't have that still instinctively knew because God wrote it on their heart. Um, I think of my life before, before I knew God's words, before I got into his word, I knew what was right and wrong instinctively. I knew that. Now I can stifle the Holy Spirit and we can all do that. We can say, no, you're, no, no, you're not right. You're not right. And eventually that, that voice in our head that's, that's convicted of, us, our, of our sins gets quieter and quieter and quieter because we've done that. We've taken the volume and turned it down and turned it down. No, God, you're not right. This isn't really set in my life. I can go on living this way. This really isn't that bad. Everyone else is doing it. It's not that big a deal. And really it is. It is a big deal to God. Um, But I will say that if we can live in sin and have no conviction of our sins where it doesn't bother us, that is a scary place to be. And I would probably say that we've probably all been there at some point. That we've lived in sin and we've really had no problem with it. It really didn't bother us that bad. That we've stifled the Holy Spirit. And it may not be big egregious sins. It may be something small in our lives. Um, but that's a scary place to be where we can't hear God speaking to us anymore about the sin in our life, about this particular sin or that particular sin. But it's not that he leaves us there. He's constantly reaching out to us, constantly speaking to us. We just need to, to turn the volume back up. And the way you do that is get into his word, spend time in prayer with him. Um, so, and then at the end, you know, at the end of the verse 16, God will judge the secrets of mankind through Christ Jesus. So there are no secrets. God knows everything. You know, we may think that, oh, no one knows about this. No, God knows about that. Um, and Jesus will judge us for all those things that we thought were kept secret. Um, your sin will always find you out. Always. Your sin will find you out. So let's finish up today. We'll go to James chapter 1, starting in verse 22. Um, so James is one of the, the last books of the Bible. So I was kind of reminded of this, you know, when we were at the conference. I got a, new, a newer Bible that doesn't, not quite as big. And so the tabs are in different order. Like I can't live without my tabs to know where the books are. So the tabs are in different order and I was all sorts of lost. You know, I kind of know the basics of what the order of the Bible, what the books of the Bible are. But um, I don't know, without the tabs... It was a big deal. But anyways, James is kind of towards the end. It's right after Hebrews and it's before Peter. We're going to start in chapter 1. In verse 22. So James 1, 22. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in the mirror. You can see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says 
and don't forget what you have heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Um, I think many people think that the Bible and the following God restricts you. And, and that's not true. It's really the opposite. When you sit down and you really think about it, the Bible doesn't restrict us. What the Bible does, what God does, what Jesus has done on the cross is, is he frees us from that sin in our life. We're no longer a slave to that sin. And you can think of all of the sins in your life and the things like what Paul said. Why do I do the things I hate? And, and, and why does that control me? Um, that's what sin does. It controls our lives. Um, and what, what God has done, what Jesus did on the cross, was he broke the power of sin that sin we're set free from. It, it only has the power that we allow it to have. Just like we've learned before, that, that Satan you know, roams around like a roaring lion, but has no teeth, has no claws. His power is gone. He's, he's got a, a loud voice, and, and the only power he really has is the power that we give him when we believe into his lies, when we believe when he tells us that we're something we're not. Um, that's the power that, that, it ha- that Satan has, and that's the same power that sin has. You know, Jesus' work on the cross was perfect. Jesus' work on the cross was complete. And Jesus' work on the cross was to remove sin from our life, to break that power of sin. So... Um, really it's when we live apart from God that we're restricted there's freedom freedom from that old life in Jesus we truly are set free but apart from him we're restricted we're slaves to sin we're slaves to what controls us um, to the, the worldly desires that control us to the, the lustful things of this world to the prideful things of this world to the, um, the monetary things of this world You know, how much stuff do I have that's what that's what we can be controlled by. And Jesus sets us free from all of that. Um, no more keeping up with the Joneses. So. And what does come to mind is kind of that list of sins that we started this study off with in the beginning. You know, those are the sins that we're all set free from. From gossiping, from disobeying our parents. From slandering others. From greed, from malice from hate from all of that we're free from all of that so again don't just listen to the bible study but apply it to your lives and what does god say god gives you this promise and god gives us promises all throughout the bible that if we apply it to our lives if we don't not just hear the word but doers then god will bless you for doing it and that's what we get that's what we get to walk away with god's blessing so not always an easy study to go through, especially when there's lots of um, just calling out how we're not to live. That's not an easy topic. Um, but I'm not here to, to only go over the easy topics. I'm supposed to go over all of what God has and not to say the things that, that are popular, but to say the truth about God. Um, and yet this is another one of his promises. When I do what he says, that he'll bless for doing it. So. So that is it. You got any questions? Amen. 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 All done. Huh? Yeah. Do you have any questions? Mm-hmm. You do? What do you have? Yeah. Is there something you want to pray for? Yeah. Yeah. What is it? You don't know? I don't know. I don't pray for 
Oh, okay. You can think about it. Do you have something you want to pray for? Oh. Savannah, do you have something you want to pray for? For friendship? Yeah. Oh, yeah? That'd be a good one to pray for. Well, I have a couple things we're still praying for. For for supporting the church in Uganda, the South Sudan, somewhere in that area, that God would lead us to the right church so we get to come alongside and support. Um, and then I've still been praying for the for the sheriff's department, the police departments, and, you know, I think that they get to see some of, like, the most awful things and they get to see that spiritual battle up front. So just been praying for them. I think that takes a toll on people's families. Um, Cherry's not here today, but her son is a police officer. Um, his ex-wife is a police officer, so you get to see and hear some of that stuff. So um, those are things that are on my heart. Huh? She's sick today. We could pray for Aunt Cherry. Yes, huh? let's do that. You want to pray for Aunt Cherry? <laughs> Okay. You guys have anything you want to pray for? Pray for my nephews. Yeah, my, my sister's ex-husband just got diagnosed with leukemia last week. Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Tim, actually. Tim? Yeah. Oh, my, my sister's ex-husband, he got diagnosed with leukemia last week. Shan, do you got any questions? Mm-hmm. Really? <laughs> well, every week she has a question. This is the first week she has it. Oh, well, she asked something last week. thank you for this day. I thank you for the time that we get to come together, that we get to spend learning about you, worshiping you, that you would um, strengthen each one of our hearts, that you would encourage us, um, that you would draw us closer to you, that that, that whatever sin that is in our lives that you, you are calling us on or convicting us of, that we would recognize that, we would accept that, we would repent of that, that we would let it go, and we turn to you. And we trust that your work, Jesus, on the cross is more powerful than any sin. 
that, that you love us so much that you don't want to leave us where we are, that you want to draw us close to you. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the work you do in each one of our lives, each and every day. We do need you every minute of every day. I ask you to watch over Cherry. You would um, strengthen her. You would um, just restore her. You bring health back to her body and take away the sickness that she's going through. Lord, I ask that you would um, watch over Tim, who was diagnosed with leukemia. I ask that you would just guide the doctors, that you would guide them in their, their treatment plan, that you would guide them in any procedures, that you would guide their hands, that, um, that, that the work that they're doing would be them, you working through them, that you'd take away the leukemia, that you'd bring healing to his body, that ultimately your will would be done. I ask that you would watch over Austin and Joey and Chris um, with the loss of both of their parents. You would um, show yourself to them more and more every day, that you would bring comfort to them, that you would bring peace, um, the peace that only you can provide, not, not an absence of, of turbulence in our life, but a peace while going through the turbulence. Lord, I ask that you would Watch over friendships, that you would um, bless each of us in the friends that we have, that we would encourage them in love and good deeds, that we would encourage each of us to, to be drawn close to you. I ask you to watch over the, the police departments around us, the Elizabeth Police Department, the, the Sheriff's Department, the, and the, those in the surrounding areas, that you would protect them, one, physically, that you keep them safe, that you protect them spiritually, that you would, um, the things that they see, the things that they go through, that you would comfort them and guide them in a way that only you can. Lord, I ask that you would guide us with the church that we get to come alongside, that you'd be preparing that church for us and that you'd be preparing us for them, that we can do life with them, that we can support them, that we can love on them, um, all with the common goal of spreading the good news about your son, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name that I pray all these things. Amen. 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 Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs>